This podcast is developed by Bridge Bio to educate ourselves and the public about living with a rare disease. Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views and opinions do not necessarily reflect the views and policy of Bridge Bio Pharma. Today you'll hear part one of a two-part series focusing on congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or CAH. Part one consists of an interview with Erica, who's doing quite well despite the many challenges of living with CAH. Part two features an interview with a person who is also living with CAH, but who has had a much more difficult experience with the condition. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy part one. Welcome to On Rare, an exclusive podcast produced by Bridge Bio a biotech company that focuses on developing treatments for rare diseases. Behind each unique condition is a unique story. And at On Rare, we have the privilege to listen and learn from the true experts, people living with the rarest conditions. I'm your host, Mandy Roarig, a member of the patient advocacy team at BridgeBio. Thanks for joining me. Today, David speaks with Erica, a woman with congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or CAH. Before we meet Erica, my friend and colleague David Rintel will talk to Dr. Kamal Barucha to help us better understand the challenges people with CH face and why new treatment options are so important to this community. Hello, David, and welcome. Thanks, Mandy. I'm really glad that we're doing this podcast on CAH because I think it's one of the most poorly understood rare diseases and people with CAH really need better treatment. I'm looking forward to hearing from Erica, but beforehand, I'd like to introduce my colleague Kamal, a pediatric endocrinologist who's the vice president for clinical development for Adrenus Therapeutics, a bridge bio company, and they are working on gene therapy for CAH. Hi, Kamal. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh, very well. Thank you, David. So, Kamal, congenital adrenal hyperplasia is a condition that is rare, and most people have never heard about it. And I imagine that most families, when their child is diagnosed with congenital adrenal hyperplasia, or CAH, and we can use CAH from now on, also have never heard of it, and it's an unexpected diagnosis. And I wonder if you could explain CAH to us as you would to a, a parent whose child has just been born with CAH. Sure. In simple terms, it is a genetic autosomal recessive condition. Autosomal recessive means that often parents don't have the condition themselves and are carriers for it. And with both parents being carriers, they can pass that gene on. Newborn screening has prevented a lot of uh, mortality from the disease and is diagnosed usually in the first few days of life. It's a disorder of the adrenal gland and it it's due to a defect in the body's inability to make cortisol and other precursors to cortisol accumulate. What does a precursor to cortisol mean exactly? Yeah, um, cortisol is a steroid hormone, and to make cortisol, it takes multiple steps. So in congenital adrenal hyperplasia, the 21-hydroxylase, sort of you could think of as a gateway for the production for cortisol, is not working. And therefore, just like in a bottleneck, there's an accumulation of all these precursors, which are converted into other hormones at abnormally higher levels. So when cortisol is not produced, there are too many other hormones that could build up and could have repercussions. Right. And they're often converted to adrenal androgens. And androgens is a fancy word for a sex steroid. And when a fetus is developing with too many androgens, what are the consequences to the baby? They can affect the development of female genitalia. 
So what is the significance of not having cortisol? What happens? Um, great question. If a body can't make cortisol, they can't mount a stress response. I'm talking responses to infections, responses to surgery, so forth. And because of that lack of ability to make cortisol, patients can undergo adrenal crises that are life-threatening. And aldosterone is very critical for maintaining salt balance. Is that why people will say, I have salt-wasting CAH? Exactly right. Salt wasters are the subset of classic CH patients. Some of the more severely affected do result as salt wasters. So Kamal, again, if I put myself in the shoes of a parent, I hear this diagnosis from my child. What can we do to help my child not just survive, but also thrive with this pretty scary condition? Uh, again, great question. This disease is a balancing act in terms of treatment. So you can think about what issues arise because of the disease itself. And then there are issues that arrive because of the treatment. The more severely affected CH patients are adrenal crises, which result in higher risk for death. Their bodies cannot mount stress response to get through that mm -hmm. event. So I guess, again, I'm in the shoes of a parent. The pediatric endocrinologist says, I need to watch out for adrenal crisis. So can you tell us what that is? Yeah, adrenal crises are stressors on the body. The most common are infections. And as you know, children are prone to a lot of infections. So sometimes the symptoms in infants can be subtle. It could just be a change in appetite that can trigger an adrenal crisis. And just to make sure that there's availability of stress dose steroids, of course, in the family, but also at the school. So it can be very challenging for the parents, particularly before the child can communicate how they feel. So this is a situation in which there is treatment, but there still are a lot of problems that can occur. You're right. The replacement therapy itself can have long-term complications, uh, low bone mineral density, increased cardiometabolic effects, and so forth that can accumulate throughout a lifetime of use. Thank you, Kamal. You've really given us not only an understanding of CAH, but also the aspects of treatment that really are not fully adequate. And I guess I would say the need for treatments that are better. Yeah, exactly. There is an unmet need to find better ways to prevent some of the long-term complications of the treatments. Thank you, Kamal. I think that the background that you've given us is going to be really helpful as we speak to Erica, an adult woman who's lived with CAH her entire life, who's going to tell us how she's handled some of these challenges that you've just described from the medical perspective. And, and thank you. And I think Erica is the true expert. Uh, so I defer to her on your follow-up questions. Thank you so much. And now let's hear from Erica, as Kamal said, an expert in CH. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for talking to us. No problem. So could we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself? Just so we get to know you as a person. Um. Yeah, I'm... 45 years old. I live in southern Indiana, five minutes from Louisville, Kentucky, right across the river. Uh, spare time, I like to spend it at the lake. And in the wintertime, I plow snow for a living. And I do road construction. I've done road construction for 25 years now. Whoa. And when you're spending time at the lake, what do you generally do? Uh, Drink a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be honest sounds sounds like a lot of fun drink a lot of beer and swim that sounds really great so we'd like to talk to you about cah congenital adrenal hyperplasia 
how do you explain it? I I just tell them I have an adrenal insufficiency and my adrenal glands don't work and my body does not produce salt. So I I can intake as much salt as I would like to. Mm-hmm. And I have to take medication to live. If I don't take the medication, I'll die. I'm guessing that you were born with CH. Yes, I'm a, I'm a salt waster. So I was born with it. Mm-hmm. And how did your family talk about hearing that you had CH? How did they find out? What was that like for them? All I know is when I've heard a story that when my mom gave birth to me, they had to rush me to the children's hospital over in Louisville. And I, I'm thinking I was in there for about three months. Wow. It's a long time for a baby to be in the hospital. Yeah, and the way they found out was because of my ambiguous genitalia. That's the only way they could find out on a female, on a newborn boy, they have to do the blood tests. So they knew there was something because you were born with ambiguous genitalia, but I guess they didn't have newborn screening then, so they didn't do a blood test right away. No, we're talking 1976. Science has came a long ways. Yeah. And just in case any listener doesn't really know the term ambiguous genitalia, how would you explain it? I pretty much explain it as having swollen genitals. And by virtue of the word ambiguous, it means that they weren't really sure right away if you were born to a male or female. Right. They'd done x-rays and uh, I think they'd done CAT scans and... You know, I have ovaries and all that good stuff. So they learned that you were female, but genitalia did not look typical of a female. Yeah, correct. Do you recall your family talking about CH and about needing to take medicine? And We never did really talk about it. My mother always told me, if you don't take your medication, you'll die. <laughs> That's the way she always put it. What's the first time you remember when you were taking medicine? Like, Oh, I was... An infant since the day I was born. Did you ever have a problem related to CH? Sometimes uh, if someone gets another illness or they throw up or they get fever, they need to take extra medicine? Yes. Every time they'd have to rush me to the hospital because on top of CAH, I have hyperglycemia. And uh, every time they had to rush me to the hospital whenever I'd go into a crisis, mm-hmm. when I turned... 31, I think it was, is when I realized there was actually a shot I could take for when I go into adrenaline crisis. I never knew about that shot until I was 31. Wow. So up until that point, you kind of just had to do your best taking oral medication, hydrocortisone. Is that what you generally take? or? As a child, I took hydrocortisone. I take prednisone now. And no one told you about the shot, which is called Salucortef. No. Until you were 31 years old. Yeah. Until I went to uh, NIH, National Institute of Health. That's where I found out about it. Mm. I mean, I guess that the docs at NIH were not that happy that you hadn't been told about it before. <laughs> they, can't, they couldn't believe I never heard of it. I'm like, nope. Carry it everywhere I go now. Mm-hmm. If you're going into crisis, you can give yourself the shot and it helps right away. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Makes you a little bit sleepy. I've had it in 15 years. I've had it three times, I think. Two or three in 15 years. Would you be willing to tell us what happened the three times in the last 15 years that you did need the shot? And The first time 
It was in July, and, you know, I work row construction, so, you know, being a salt waster is kind of hard. But I came home from work, and I turned the air conditioning off. It was like 101 degrees outside. Put on sweatpants and sweatshirt, and I was throwing up tremendously. Thank God my friend came over to check on me, and when she came over, she's like, something ain't right. You're blue. I mean, I was going into shock. And we got a hold of a woman out in California that has a daughter that has CAH. And she walked her through giving me the shot. And the next morning, I woke up great. I don't know if it was a food poisoning, maybe a virus, but I just went downhill quick. Well, so. sounds like it was pretty serious. And yeah. if you didn't have the shot at that moment, you could have really gone downhill much further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then the other times, were they similar or different? I'm thinking it was only one more time, and I don't, my heart was just racing. I'm not sure what it was, and I thought, well, I'm going to try to shot out. Mean, it was like 130 my heartbeat. That's what my Fitbit said. And I'd done the shot, and it, it worked. So, I mean, I don't know. I told the doctors, they're like, well, that ain't right. You shouldn't use a shot. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was just scared. I didn't know what was going on. Before going on, uh, can I go back to when you went to NIH and the doctors there said, you need to use Salucortef, you need to have this shot in case you get ill. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you what you were thinking and feeling when you realized that you had lived 31 years without access to that injection. I mean, I guess I'm lucky. I could think of one time literally just passing out. It could have been heat exhaustion mm-hmm. on a softball field because I played catcher. And I, my mom just got fluids in me. Mm-hmm. My thing, when I could tell that I need salt, I eat bouillon cubes. <laughs> it probably sounds nasty to you, but I eat bouillon cubes like they're going out of style. They have to be beef. Because you like them better or they're saltier? I, I like them better than chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so the bouillon cubes are full of salt. And as you said, salt wasting CH means you can't hold on to salt. So... If you perspire or if you have a fever that your salt level goes down and your blood pressure goes down and you feel faint, you really don't feel well. Yes. And you work on the roads where I'm sure it's really hot a lot of the time. So you're perspiring a lot of the time. Uh Uh-huh. In hot weather, the roads heat up. You're in an outdoor oven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hot out there for sure. So you take care of yourself by munching on beef bouillon cubes. Yep. I played sports all my life, and that's how I got by, mostly on that softball field in the summertime. Well, that's really impressive, Erica. Where we started was that you were diagnosed with CH because they didn't know that you had salt wasting. They didn't know that your adrenal glands weren't working right, but they could see that you had ambiguous genitalia. Did you receive any kind of intervention or surgery? What happened? I did at a year old. I'm not sure which one. And I did at five years old. And when you think about it now, most of the people that you know, they weren't born with ambiguous genitalia. It's not very common. So what do you think about it? Do you ever? No, because everybody's different. So it's just part of your life history. Just part of me. It doesn't bother you now. No, it it never did bother me. Well, that's good. And then what about the other parts of how you need to take care of yourself with CH? What would you say is the most challenging part of that? Really? I mean, I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> it's just an everyday process, you know? It's, it's, it's a norm. It's like getting up and brushing your teeth every day. You do it every day, so it's a norm. Mm-hmm. So I can't really say anything is. Wow. 
So you've it's just the way that you live your life. Yeah, yeah. Has it ever stopped you from doing something you wanted to do? No. It will never stop me from doing anything either. <laughs> you won't let it stop you from doing anything, right? I will not let it, no. Because, I mean, I know some people, it will. They're like, oh, poor me, poor me. No, I was born this way. Like, I've won in 20,000. Yeah, you, you belong <laughs> to a very exclusive club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you feel like there's something positive about having CH? Or, you know, I asked you what the biggest challenge is, so... I guess the biggest challenge for me, considering how much I like the outdoors, is staying hydrated where I don't pass out and dehydrate. So how do you uh, hydrate? Honestly, um, drinking water and beer. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, eating bouillon cubes, eating a lot of bouillon cubes. Mm -hmm. I believe that beer is... uh, Beer hydrates you as well as water. Maybe not quite as well, but... <laughs> so you, you're you pretty accustomed to spending time in the heat because you're working on the roads during the week and then you go out and sit on the boat in the sun. Oh, yeah. And it really helps to know your body to be able to mm-hmm. maintain your health. Yes, it does. I, I know my body. Are there times when you don't feel great, even though it's not a crisis? You're not going to give yourself a shot and... I have a tattoo that I've been working on my back that's like four hours every time I go in. And I'll dose up for when I go in to get tattoo work. And if I if I have to go to the dentist for something big, you know, I'll double dose mm-hmm. for that. If I know something's coming up, I'll, I'll double dose for it. Mm-hmm. And is this something that you've been taught by your doctors? Doctors, yeah. I see. Actually, I, I dose on hydrocortisone. So mm-hmm. I take prednisone every day, but whenever I stress dose, it's hydrocortisone. So stress in ZH can be physical, like the dentist office, but also emotional. Yeah, um, because, you know, with us not having adrenal glands, we don't produce a stress hormone in cortisol. Mm-hmm. That's right. What's little stressful to you, like even a car wreck, for me, could kill me because it could put me into adrenaline crisis. Okay, just to be clear, a car wreck would be very stressful for me, but for most people, their adrenal gland would start pumping out cortisol, but someone with mm-hmm. CH mm-hmm. would not be pumping it's out. The flight and fight, yeah. Yep. You need to be pumping it yeah, in. Yeah, pumping it in, yep. I mean, I wear a bracelet, you know, where if I am in a car accident, hopefully somebody would give me the shot, you know. What's your contact been with other people with CH? And maybe we could start with... What was your first contact with another person living with CAH? I think the first real contact with somebody with salt-wasting CAH was me and this girl met online through one of the communities, and we met up at NIH. She lived in Indianapolis. But since then, I have met many, many kids and adults and families with CAH. That's why when I go out of town, I try to meet somebody, somebody, somebody's kids or anything. So when you go out of town, you look for members of the CH community to meet? Yes. Yes. I actually run a CAH group on Facebook. It's called Women with CAH. Mm -hmm. And it's a very strict group. Only people with CAH can get into it. Wow. So when you are out of town, you try to meet with people who are in that Facebook group? Is that the connection? Yeah, that Facebook group, or I'm in another Facebook group I try to meet. I just, I just I'll put myself out there. I'll be like, who wants to meet? I'm coming to your city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What are Coming those... to a town near you. Who wants to meet? Yeah. What are those meetings like when you do that? And what do you all talk about? Uh, you know, one really touched me. She was about seven, eight years old. And it was in Florida when I was in Florida. And we met at a park. Me, her, her mom, my mom. And the little girl had a whole list of questions to ask me. Like, when I get older, do I have to continue to take my medication and, you know, all that? And that one really touched me. I'm like, man, you can do anything you want to. Don't ever let nobody tell you you can't do nothing. You do anything. So, Erica, you're doing a lot of good out there with these visits, huh? Well, the reason why I started doing it is because I know when I was growing up, my mother had nobody to talk to. We didn't have internet. We had nothing, you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I connected a lot of families together, connected a whole lot of families. I think that's really wonderful. You also didn't get as much information about CH as you should have. Oh yeah. And you're making sure that people learn what they need to learn about it at an early age. Oh yeah. I've had a lot of research done on me because I feel like it's not going to help me, but it's going to help the younger generation. Um, Let's hope that the research helps the younger generation and maybe even your generation. Yeah, let's hope. (laughs) Uh, Your example of the little girl that you met with in Florida, I would say that was not just about the medical side of CH. You also told her that a person could live a long life with CH and doesn't have to stop you from doing whatever you want to do. Yep, you're correct. So you kind of taught her a life lesson about CH. Don't let it run you. You run it and don't let it run you. <laughs> Do you follow the research in CH very much? Quite a bit. Not in the past year, I haven't. I've done a lot of surveys, a lot of Zoom calls. I've done over in like England and all that stuff. I've went to Bethesda, you know, Maryland, NIH. Went to Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. done a research out there. Done a kids camp out there whenever I was in Oklahoma City. There were some kids with CAH out there. I've been to Indianapolis, be a guinea pig, but my levels weren't right, so I couldn't get into that one. So by being a guinea pig, I take it you meant that you were willing to be in a clinical trial for some new kind of treatment. Yes. And what does it feel like to think about participating in a clinical trial for CH? It scares me because you don't know what's going to happen. But like I've always said, I do it for the kids. I do it for the kids. I think sometimes people don't always consider participating in a clinical trial is not only because it could possibly help you, but it could also help other people with the condition that you're living with. Yes. I like hearing what you said that you're doing it for the kids. Um, So would you consider doing a clinical trial if the treatment offered the possibility of better treatment than you have now? Yes. It's better treatment, yes. All prednisone is going to do is eat away. All it's doing is eating away at my bones. I mean, it's one strong steroid. Okay, so you're keeping your eyes open. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I feel like I was very well medicated as a child because I know, like, some people with CAH grows beards and has hair in places they shouldn't have hair, and I've never had that issue. And I also kind of feel like my salt wasting might not be as severe as others because I don't really take that much prednisone. I take three in the morning and one at night. That's four milligrams a day. Yeah. Even though that prednisone makes me gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you may have put on the COVID-19, meaning 19 pounds over the last Actually, year. 
actually, no, actually, I lost 27 pounds during the pandemic. Wow. I'm like, wow. How'd that happen? Well, you let me know your secret because I could use it. And I know a lot of people who could. <laughs> Amy's saying the same. So, Erica, did anyone else in your family have CH that you know of? Um, not that I know of, but my grandmother was a twin and her brother passed away at birth and she had a few other brothers that passed away a little bit after birth which could have been so we don't know no but it could have been do you participate much in any of the uh, organizations that are cares yeah part of the ceh community and cares and like i said i run uh, a woman's group on facebook Uh uh-huh it's pretty much me and this other girl started it up. There was no place for us to go without parents. It's just for women. So you really want to focus on women who have CH, not parents of kids, etc. And you want to give the kids the message that they can do anything they want and be anyone they want. With the women with CH, you can talk really about things that are hard. Yeah, you know, because some of the stuff we say might scare people, you know? So... I'm going to ask you to just make believe now that I'm a seven-year-old girl, maybe in Florida, maybe in Oklahoma, maybe in Colorado. What is the message that you most want to give to those kids? You could be anything you want to be, but you have to take your medicine. I like it. A lot of kids are rebellious. I was rebellious. At one time, I didn't want. I wanted to be like all my friends and not take my medicine. But I, a lesson learned, you know. What helped you move from being rebellious to taking your medicine the right uh, way? Being in the hospital for about ten days, like almost dying, literally uh, having an IV stuck in my neck because my veins were collapsed. It was bad. I was being rebellious. All right, I have to ask you for details. So you're being rebellious, so you weren't taking your medicine. What happened that put you in the hospital? I went into an adrenaline crisis. My dad, I think, went to sleep Saturday. It was like Tuesday he woke me up. It's like, are you going to eventually go to work? I'm like, well, it's only Sunday. He's like, no, you slept for three days. Wow. So you were in crisis probably, and you slept, mm-hmm. and then you were dehydrated, then your veins yeah. collapsed. You were pretty sick. Very sick. And that cured you of being rebellious. Yes. (laughs) Very much so. Life is precious. All right. So remember I asked you to talk to a Uh seven-year-old? Now I'm a 16, 17-year-old, and I don't want to do anything any grown-up tells me to do. I don't care what it is. I don't want to do it. I'll say what my mom told me whenever I was that rebellious teenager. If you don't take your medication, you're going to die. You will die. And it sounds like you were pretty rebellious because that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) She was was straight up, though. You know, why beat around the bush? Yeah, yeah. She was straight up. Well, I think that's what helps the most. Um, This has been great. But I want to tell you something, Erica. You said something about, well, if you were in a car accident, you would be okay, but that you, Erica, would need cortisol. So I also have adrenal insufficiency. I don't have CH, but I have Addison's disease. Really? Yep. So really, I have a personal connection to this. And you have a real personal connection. Do you know who else had Addison's disease? Yeah, John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And the doctor who diagnosed me studied with the doctor who treated John F. Kennedy. He was named George Thorne, and I live in Boston. And oh. 
I worked at a hospital there, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and there's a building there called the Thorn Building. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that. And because Thorn was the one who discovered that what people with adrenal insufficiency needed was some form yeah. of cortisone. Wow. All right. Well, this has been really wonderful talking to you, Erica. Yes. It was just a pleasure to spend some time yes. with you. And we'll work on some dates for, for us to show up at the lake. <laughs> So, David, I hope you get your invitation to the lake soon. Uh, I'll send a little reminder to Erica. <laughs> so hopefully we'll be able to be out on the lake with her one day. That would be fantastic. I'll bring the beer. I love talking to Erica. I think she's a great example of how people find ways to live with a chronic condition. They discover their capacity for resilience and she kind of uses her incredible spirit, kind of a rebellious spirit to uh, overcome some of the challenges that she's experienced. I completely agree. I thought what was really interesting is she did rebel, but then later she pivoted and really became a leader. You know, whenever she leaves town, she decides to go visit other people living with CAH, which I think is really touching. Erica really demonstrates that she's learned from her experiences, including the difficult ones, and she's passing on what she's learned to other individuals living with CH, including children and adolescents. I also really liked her message, you don't let it run you, you run it. Very grateful for her work with her community. Thank you, David. Thank you, Erica, for sharing your story with us, and thanks to Dr. Kamal Barucha for your insight Many thanks to our producer, Amy Brooks, and most importantly, thank you for listening to On Rare with David Rintel. If you'd like more information about CAH, contact the CARES Foundation. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate your support by rating and most of all, subscribing. I'm Mandy Rorig. I hope you'll join me for our next conversation on Rare. <laughs>